1: This is The Skate Podcast, talking Bruins hockey with WEI Bruins writers Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue, and Brian DeFelice. Lace them up for some beast talk. It's Odyssey's The Skate
0: Pod on WEI. Woo! Welcome into episode 271 of The Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. Bridget and Scott, it's the NHL vacation for the All-Star festivities, which I don't think take place until... Uh, Maybe Thursday through Saturday this weekend, Um, and the Bruins are off until uh, well into the first week of February. So we have an opportunity here for a mailbag episode. But uh, how are you two doing? I don't know if we have an opening shift for this episode, but just how you guys doing in general?
1: I'm doing fine. No, it's going to be. I have a couple days off later this week, which is nice. Get that little little mid season break and then prepare for the stretch run. So um, yeah, looking forward to it.
2: He's taking some maintenance time make sure he's right before the playoffs. Um, Got to make sure he doesn't
1: make my, my trip a little quick little trip down to a uh, Turks and Caicos like the players, you know, just, are you, you know, nothing big? Are yeah, you? I, I wish
2: because that was going to be I was going to be pretty pissed, honestly. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm doing good. I don't think I have I don't think we really have opening shifts besides just the fact that we've recently since we recorded the last podcast, seen some dumb trade-off ideas that we will get into and that's not like that's not an opening shift that is a that is just like foreshadowing we're gonna get to that
0: well I i have i have an opening shift for you the last the last time we spoke you kind of left us all on the edge of our seats like were you gonna get a steak and cheese were you gonna do something like what did you end up doing after after last episode
2: um i got chicken wings
0: Uh, okay what flavor
2: i didn't get steak and cheese i got chicken wings um well
0: that's a bit of a a a letdown
2: i know i'm sorry i really had it it was in my heart after what scott said but i just i didn't know where to get a good one so
0: all right all right i was hoping for something something better than that i'm really sorry i'm sorry it is what it is is. we're
1: recording at lunch we're recording
0: at a lunchtime tuesday so
1: this is a bad start guys i now we're I hungry
2: again, huh? Fair. Yeah. Thanks, well, Brian.
0: The good news is we only have a whole episode to go <laughs> Yeah, we're
2: a minutes in. Uh
0: all right. Well then let's third just third jump-
1: mailbag question. I'm just gonna be stuffing my face. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, I know. And I feel like going forward, a lot of the mailbags might be food related because they're kind of <laughs> reading the tea leaves and what we like to talk about. But the first couple of questions we got ironically were from Brian and Scott and you oh. know, yeah, I told I you know. guys to
2: stop emailing us, okay?
0: <laughs> we can't make this up. It's just every week there's, you know, Scott and I just keep writing into the to the to the podcast, asking questions we're too afraid to ask when we're we, we need a Bridget
1: Bridget's to email. It. I know we, we There's going to be another Bridget. Listen, please
2: don't, please don't see this as an opportunity to make a fake Twitter account that has my name. Please don't.
1: Well, now you just gave them the idea. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Don Swiney's taking notes.
2: Yeah, he's like, I know, I know the next burner. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, um, so this is a good mailbag because it's it's as we've talked about, it's just past the midway point of the season, NHL season All Star break, so a good chance for everybody to kind of take a step back and ask the questions that they they're looking for. And the first couple have to do with some potential. Personnel decisions and moves the Bruins could potentially make at some point this year. So we'll start off hot with Brian. Um, And obviously it's spelled B-R-I-A-N, which means you can trust him. Anybody who spells it with a Y, you cannot trust. Um, So he says, you guys all seem kind of stumped in the last mailbag when someone asked about how to replace Lucic's role in physicality. I get it. You're not allowed to say goon, but my buddy had an idea for someone who could fit the bill. Uh, Minnesota wild man, Patrick Maroon. He has the 15 points that Brian suggested Lucic may have had, had he not, you know, whatever, been suspended Um, or whatever, uh, leave of absence. And Minnesota are barely in the wild card race, so he may be available. Um, He goes on to say the wild could be interested in a year and a half of Lena Solmark. Their goaltending is atrocious this season. Um, uh, uh, You know, would they – Want to trade Maroon, a first rounder, and one of their best prospects for Allmark. Um, Bridget and Scott, what do you make of this?
1: Yeah, I think it's a good idea. Um, this is sort of exactly the kind of player to target for cheap, physical, veteran presence on that fourth line. Obviously, Maroon has won three cups. Uh, you know, Bruins fans no unfortunately he was on that St. Louis team in 2019 and then went to Tampa and won the next two after that um you know yeah he uh Brian the emailer Brian mentioned what he's done this season like he, he's still been a useful player 16 points 16 now in 49 games he's playing almost 13 minutes a game um you know he probably wouldn't play that much here but he could easily be a fourth liner who gets eight, nine, 10 minutes, um, can still chip in a little bit and obviously still physical can drop the gloves if needed. So I imagine he'd come pretty cheap. I think the wild only gave up a, a seventh rounder to get him. He was one of the, now that was in part because Tampa had cap issues and just couldn't keep them. But um, yeah, this is, you know, sort of, I think, the exact kind of player to to target if you're looking to add that element to to the fourth
0: line.
2: Yeah, the I, I don't, I, I mean, obviously targeting Maroon, he's proven to be the kind of guy you want on your, your team during a playoff run. Um, he's had that success. He's a pest. He's tough. He can provide offense. Uh, my only issue is I think you could give up, like you said, less. I don't think This is like a a trade that you would want to move one of your goalies for. Um, To me, No, no, to me, that doesn't make any sense at all. So if you can move like a later round draft pick or if they want a prospect, like reasonably not like a Lysel or, or Laura or anything like that, I think a deal could get made. And if you want to talk about where the wild are in the standings, they are kind of far outside that wild card picture right now. Um, just because of how many teams are right in that cluster, it seems like it'll be hard to to jump out for them and, and to to steal one of those last wild card spots. Because there's it's like five other teams ahead of them right now. I think it's more one, two, three, four. There's four teams a- ahead of them for a wild card spot. Five.
1: It, it is five, Bridget. It is
2: five. Yeah. Okay. So like
1: so- they're only seven points out, but yeah, they have to jump five other teams.
2: Yeah, that's that's the problem. It's like, okay, yeah, point-wise, they could probably do it, but that, that means that all the other teams have to lose too, and, and you're probably not going to see that happen. So, yeah, they're probably sellers, um, which makes the Wild an interesting team to talk about, like, the pieces that they may, might be willing to move.
0: Yeah, and and uh, Brian, the emailer, Brian, also mentioned um, that the bonus in acquiring Patrick Maroon is that the Bruins could sell tickets to see Jack attempt to apologize to him um, because of the whole drama they had last year or the year before. I was um, going to
2: say uh, he'd be like, Boston is on his no trade list because he doesn't want to come see Jack.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe they'd be like, they become like best friends, you know, you, it's like when you yeah, they
2: go eat pizza together every Thursday. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Oh exactly. God. if you guys don't know what we're talking about look it up but i'm sure you guys do yeah
0: well there's a whole it, i mean it was a pretty big storyline it was like we i think we dedicated whole- part certainly half of the podcast episode to it
2: yeah it was it was like reported in like usa today and it was like it was like national news for that yeah and then again when they when he came back to town it was it was a yeah. whole thing
1: yeah because yeah because jack tried well did apologize to him, tried to apologize to him, tried to like talk to him in the in a locker room and that conversation with people who were there lasted like 10 minutes, but it was basically like all Jack just trying to apologize and and then maroon kind of went off on him. so yeah, there that that would be a, a fascinating bonus for
0: sure from, um, from from foes to friends, you know to tale's so as oldest as time. It
2: or or you just hear jack just rip them every game just just like finding yeah <laughs> could be fun it could be fun either way um
0: just to give my two cents nothing different from what you guys said i think you know there's probably a lot of bruins fans that would look at pat maroon and say well oh, he's 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 worthless and you know he's slow and he sucks and look at his analytics i'm I'm sure that those people are out there and they're probably out there in spades but there's definitely uh an element of physicality and durability experience toughness that is needed in the postseason and if you disagree then like scott mentioned you know go ask the 2019 blues and the, and the Tampa the tip may lightning the following couple of years you know if they if they could have used um that on their team and they would say we absolutely could have and we did and that's why he was on there and so You know, you can't really argue with success. You you, you need a player like that, in my opinion, at some point. Even if he's not an everyday guy in the lineup, like, you have to be able to plug him in.
2: And I think people understand that in Boston because Sean Thornton, like, when the Bruins went on their run, they had a guy that wasn't the most skilled guy. Um, But Sean Thornton was still an important part of that, that lineup. I know he didn't play every single game in the playoffs, but people remember that team for having tough guys on it, not just, you know, not just... Bergeron and you know the skilled guys so anyway I think it's an understood concept in Boston for sure that even if you didn't like him when he played against you you'd like him if he's on your team I think Pat Maroon is one of those guys
1: yeah and I I just want to reiterate reiterate like I'm good with it as long as he's cheap I know Kevin Weeks mentioned him on ESPN uh like last week they were doing kind of a trade rumors segment um and he said he doesn't think it would cost much more than the seventh that Minnesota gave up. That I'm fine with. If you get him for a sixth or seventh, good. If it if all of a sudden there's like a Pat Maroon bidding war and it's going to cost like a fourth round pick, I'm, I'm not doing that. Like it, not going into the mid rounds or anything like that. Um, or it could be it could be potentially part of a package, which uh, I think ties into the question we can get to next from from Scott. Scott the
0: emailer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. Um Brian and Scott, which is huge huge wild fans. Um the upcoming trade window, this is from Scott. Uh realistically, the Bees need a sturdy and gritty left-shot D-man. Forwards lingering injury, Grizzlies injury history. I like Jacob Middleton, 2.45 million uh with 2 years left. What would it really take to make a deal to bring Middleton to Boston. I like the idea of the following pairings, McAvoy and Lindholm, uh, Carlo and Middleton, Shattenkirk, Watherspoon, Lori, seventh D. Carlo and Middleton could do damage against other teams, top lines, wear them down over seven games. Um, what do you guys think about this?
1: Another, another target I would like, I don't, I don't know if he's going to be available. Um, again, the wild are not clear sellers yet. And Jake Middleton does have another year after this. So he might, he's 28 years old. So he might be a player that is in their plans beyond this year. Um, he's playing top four minutes for for them, which I, th- honestly, I think he's kind of a fringe top four defenseman, but pairing him with someone in the Bruins top four, um, I think, you know, they can help elevate his game. He doesn't have to, drive the pairing ideally he'd be a third liner on like a true cup team but he could play in the Bruins top four I think um but yeah sort of a a player who helps bring some of what they've missed on the on the blue line this year he's physical he's he's generally been a defense first guy but he actually does have 18 points this season so he he has been chipping in offensively too um you can move the puck. He's not like the greatest skater in the world, but uh, yeah, he kind of he does a little bit of everything. He kills penalties. So again, it would come down to the cost. You know, I, I if the wild are expecting to be paid, like he's a legit stud top four defenseman, I think that's probably going to get a little too expensive, but if he, if it's something less than that, then um, yeah, that w- it would make a lot of sense to me.
2: Well, it's an affordable contract. like that two point would you say five is more affordable than uh, what they have now. So uh, I, my question is, Grizzly is Grizzlick like someone that you're trying to trade? is that why Grizzlick's out of these D pairs or is it like assuming he's injured or or just assuming that he's not good enough to be in the top seven guys on D in this situation? I guess that's a question for, for Scott, that email or not necessarily. But Scott, you can answer if you'd like.
1: Yeah, I mean, I get you could easily just list Grizzly as the seventh D there, and like maybe he's part of a a third pairing rotation with Chat and Kirk and Watterspoon. Uh, you know, another part of this equation is like what's going to happen, Derek Forbord, is yeah. because if he goes on LTIR and like his season's over, that is three million more dollars that the Bruins would have to work with. Um, if that doesn't happen and his injury is short of term and they think he's going to be back, then you do have to free up money somewhere. And if you're trading for a defenseman, presumably you, you might be moving one out in, in another deal.
0: Yeah. I think Middleton is definitely a, he's, he's the kind of defenseman I think you'd you like to add. Um If you're in a Bruins position, I think he's definitely a fringe uh, third pair, D pair, uh, third D pair, second D pair defenseman. I think what makes him a top four guy is the is the incredible beer league mustache he has going, and I I don't think you can teach that. You you can either grow it or you and,
2: can't. And the teeth, I don't know if you've seen him smile, but he's missing at least one.
0: Oh yeah, so. yeah. He, he 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 look he looks like he just you know came off a you know, 11 PM game in hockey town on a, on a Tuesday night. So like, that's the kind of guy I want in the playoffs. I don't know about anybody else. So I I like Scott's suggestion and, and, uh, and absolutely. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I Uh, just, I just wonder like, all right. So if we're talking about like a package deal, like if you want, say you want Maroon, like you want them both. What's the package then? Because that becomes not just like a seventh round draft pick there's there's going to be more involved if you're trying to get two two guys that can you know be impact players for you in the playoffs obviously we're still not looking at a, something huge but you know would they want grizzly back in return like would they want it say if he's healthy like would that be something that'd be worth doing
1: i don't think they'd want grizzly or fallback because those are pending free agents and that
2: yeah doesn't do anything for minnesota so no it doesn't um
1: they they gave up so in order to get Milton, they gave up Capo kakinen and a fifth round pick and kakinen was sort of an i don't know an established backup potential starter but certainly not like a bona fide you know starting nhl goalie um so i don't know you're talking about maybe a a roster contributor and a mid-round pick like this does that get it done or it, it all depends on what Minnesota is prioritizing, right? Cause they don't, they don't seem like a team that's going into a full rebuild. So do they want, would they rather have a roster player or a prospect who's close to contributing than, um, than a high draft pick? Like that might, that might be a bit better match for the Bruins who obviously don't have many draft picks to work with in the first
0: place. I mean, the good, the good news is if you're the wild, like, or it, if you're the Bruins and and Minnesota's not wanting to Middleton and Maroon, if they part with them, that's not jeopardizing their long-term, you know, plans as a franchise. Right. Um, so like, I think the question is like other contenders are going to probably want similar, um, additions at the deadline and what separates the Bruins from, from those other potential suitors. Um, And, like, what I like about the idea of Middleton and Maroon in particular is because, like, we've talked about how the Bruins could use another top six forward in theory. But, and I don't think that's, I still think that's, like, a a, a really solid middle six contributor, I think, is something the Bruins should still have in their mind. But they don't need this, and we'll get to it, but they don't need to, to, you know, um, throw away what they have right now with this team. And, and and by bringing in Middleton and Maroon, you wouldn't be doing that. And, and Minnesota, like if you're looking at if you're the Bruins looking at a Florida Panthers potential matchup in the postseason, Maroon and Middleton are the exact type of players that you want on your on your team in a seven game series against the Panthers because they like to get involved in between the whistles. And whether the Bruins like it or not, whether the Bruins engage in that stuff or not, it's going to happen. Right. So who do you want to be taking those face washes, McAvoy or Middleton? Cause I guess what <laughs> Middleton will give him right back and Maroon will too. And the wild and the Panthers had a pretty spirited game down in sunrise a few weeks back. And I just think that sometimes you do have to fight fire with fire. I I, I think it's inevitable, especially when you're looking at who's in front of you in the Like if it was a bunch of Toronto Maple Leaves in the Eastern conference, that's one thing, but the Florida Panthers exist and they have an identity and you're going to have to go up against it at some point. I think if you want to get to where you want to go to.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Like it, sometimes I think, you know, the the physicality and, and that kind of stuff can get overrated or guys who willing to drop the gloves. Like I don't think it's the most important thing in the world, but there's there's really no denying that like the teams that have won the cup have tended to have at least one or two of those guys. Um you know, may, maybe Vegas as an exception last year. Like they they weren't really Dropping the gloves, they weren't overly physical, but they, they at least had guys who, you know, were hard on forecheck or could stand up to hits. And that's the other part of this is, like, we're not just talking about guys who fight. Like, Middleton plays a physical game that stands up to forechecks. Um, he's been pretty healthy. I think he's played every game this year. Played 79 last year. Um, and Maroon brings it on the forecheck. Again, sure, absolutely not the fastest skater, not the most – fleet of foot, but he still gets in on the forecheck and can dish some hits out without just, like, chasing them and taking himself out of play.
0: Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today.
2: did you want to push this a little further to the the next two questions, which are actually you know they're on the same lines. So, um, Brian, if you do, you want to read it? I can read it. I have it up right now. Um,
0: yeah, go for it. Yep.
2: So this next one is from Joe. He says, "Huge, huge bees fan from Northeast Ohio. Never miss a podcast. Bees need a rugged D-man. Four bird is very injury-prone and concerning." And they desperately need a fourth line center who can win faceoffs in the D zone, especially. Um, he says he's concerned for what that means for the playoffs if they don't find that. Um, so, and then the next question also is related to the center, and it's from RP. He says the Bruins' fourth line needs grittiness as well as a center who can win faceoffs late in the game. What are the chances the bees will send a lesser prospect or two to reacquire AJ Greer or Tomas Nosek before the trade deadline? So those are two names that obviously Bruins fans are familiar with because AJ Greer was put on waivers and then uh, didn't clear waivers and and uh, ended up getting taken. So uh, he's out in what Seattle, Vancouver, Seattle. Cal Greer
1: uh, is in Calgary.
2: Oh, Calgary. Um, and so he Sam
1: right after the break.
2: Yeah. And he was a great, you know, grittiness, uh, you know, tough guy. He wasn't that big though. Like Maroon's bigger. Um, Like Greer, Greer fit the role because he, he worked at that role, but I feel like Maroon is a a bigger, grittier guy. Also more opt to more apt to produce on the fourth line. Um, But I guess the, the main question there is about centers like a fourth line center we talked about adding fourth line grittiness but do they have an internal solution at center is there a, a lower in the lineup guy that's out there that is good at faceoffs? and i guess that's where the no sick idea comes in because he was very steady at winning face-offs and, and playing a good defensive game but we we talked about it when he was here that he just did not add offense at all
0: well and scott i'm sure you have maybe a few more thoughts to me about about um personnel but i mean johnny beecher he was doing well in the face-offs i don't think him going down to providence was a lack of success in the circle um i mean he's obviously an internal option that if he could get back to playing on his toes um and 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 being assertive offensively that that could be an internal option for the bruins
1: yeah it first off by the way joe being from northeast ohio immediately makes me think of the opening line of the Bruce Springsteen song Youngstown. So, so thank you for that. Um, one of the greatest <laughs> protest songs ever written. Uh So on no it's worth noting here that um, he's been out since November. He originally had an upper body injury, then also suffered a foot injury and had to have foot surgery. He just started skating again, like within the last week. So before anyone thinks about trading for him like he has to get back on the ice and show he's healthy a, a the foot injury that he can skate effectively and it's not going to be a problem and b the upper body injury that he was battling he wasn't taking face-offs earlier in the season so he's got to be 100 recovered from that and able to take face-offs too um so i kind of think you have to put no on the back burner right now because you just don't know if he's healthy when he's going to be healthy what he's going to look like, Um, you know, Greer, obviously, you know, slightly separate topics since Greer is not a center, but an interesting name nonetheless. I mean, the reason the Bruins waived him in the first place was because he, what he brought was too similar to what Lucic brought and, you know, they weren't really going to have that duplication. Well, obviously it didn't work out with Lucic and he's gone. So, you know, are you, as we've talked about, like, are you looking for someone to fill that slot? And Greer in the regular season can do that. We saw even last season, like they didn't play him in the playoffs. And I'm not sure they would this year either. So um, you'd probably prefer someone more like Maroon in that role who has the playoff experience. Um, I have some names for potential fourth-line guys or other face-off guys? Because like like Brian mentioned, you had a fourth-line center who could win face-offs in, in Beecher. The question is, you know, do you think – obviously they sent him down because there are other things they want him to work on. Do you think he can work on those and get to the level you need him to be at before the end of the season? Basically, like, is Beecher still in the plans for this season as, hey, he's going to go down for X amount of time and I don't know – some maybe in March or even in February, he comes back up and we think he's going to be ready to contribute and potentially be a playoff player for us. Um That like, we, we just don't know. We don't know exactly what they feel about Johnny Beecher as it relates to the rest of the season.
2: Wait, think about the people that are up that have come up since Beecher has gone down. Like, do they really want Steen on the roster over Beecher? Do they really want Patrick Brown on the roster over Beecher in the playoffs? Like I'm asking like that, that's something we're going to have to find out. Like in my mind, it seems like the upside for Beecher is higher, but at the same time, like maybe they think Patrick Brown is better defensively. And he's, you know, Scott has defended him before. I think that he's not like a flashy fourth line guy. Um, I don't know. I, I didn't have a huge issue with how Beecher was playing. And I think that the reason why he got sent down was because his contract allowed him to go down without getting waived. And, and uh, you know, that was part of it because well, otherwise you'd have to waive someone like Lauko or um, Steen or whomever.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there's a little more to it than that though, because that, when he was the fourth line center, that line wasn't scoring. Like there was no offense there. And, and you can put that on the wings just as much as him. It's not all his fault, but I do think it's clear. Like they, they want to look at options that help them produce more offense. And I don't mean Patrick Brown, obviously. Cause like, he no, doesn't, he doesn't. And my, my support of Patrick Brown is, is mostly tongue in cheek just because I think, I think he gets way more hate than he deserves. But <laughs> um, like, obviously he, like, I don't think he's, well,
0: end, you know, so. I mean, Patrick Brown, I, I mean, you're not going to catch me, uh, you know, talking too much about him, but it is interesting the amount of hate he gets when he's only played like a you know couple handfuls of games. It's like how, much right. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not un- like
1: it's the most disproportionate like <laughs> hate for like, a guy, guy with such still, like, a minimal role on the team.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's I mean, he's like he's like you know barely ahead of you know Maddie Falconer on the depth chart, the equipment <laughs> manager. Um, but you know, one one name I think the the biggest reason I think Johnny Beecher's, is is you know maybe still in Providence or even went down. It's not because of Patrick Brown or Oscar Steen, it's because of Jesper Boquist. And and I I think the Bruins like what they've seen out of him. I think totally different player, but to Scott's point, the fourth line when it was Lovko and Beecher and Steen, which is primarily what it's been since the departure of lucic um, or indefinite de- uh departure of Lucic, that line was offensively anemic. There was no offense. So um yeah i mean like when the team is healthy you're looking at a fourth line potentially of Dayton heinen who has like almost 20 points in the year Jasper Boquist, who is showing um the skill set that made him an nhl player in the past with new jersey and, and an offensive contributor with them at times um and then matt patra and and patra obviously is you know where he fits best we don't know is he's also dealing with his own injury issues so i just think like yes if Beecher works hard enough, I do think that there's a path for him back to the NHL roster for sure. But it, people aren't giving enough credit. I don't think to yes for Boquist and and why he's kind of earned He's, he, he surpassed Beecher a little bit, at least in the eyes of the Bruins coaching staff and management, just for the time being, because if yeah. it wasn't for Boquist, Beecher would be up here. I think right now.
2: Yeah, that's true. I think Boquist did make that case for himself and, and play well enough to be on the roster. But if we're talking about, specifically filling that role of of a you know a center that can win face-offs and be good defensively like it it doesn't solve that and I wonder if, like Patra if he's the fourth line center during the playoffs like he isn't the best at face-offs like Beecher was better at face-offs um he's he's gotten pushed around a little bit like the identity of that line definitely goes from being like a a tougher line to like Patra is finesse like that there's no that's not in his game I mean can you imagine Maroon and Patra next to each other that's like I feel like the two opposite types of players on the same line And maybe it would work I don't know um but it just feels like Patra the identity of the fourth line probably doesn't have Patra on it I know he's been playing on the fourth line a little bit but if we're talking about a, a playoff team, like I don't really know how you mix all of those pieces together and, and have a successful fourth line.
1: Well, and that's where, you know, maybe it's just a, a different kind of fourth line where it, it is more offensive, uh, you know, starts in the O zone, maybe it has some speed um, and more skill. And, and maybe your third line becomes more of an identity line based around uh, Frederick and Geeky, and, you know, whether it's Lauco who's been there recently, or maybe someone you acquire who fits in there, um, that's an option, too. Uh, a couple a couple of names, though, if you're looking for veteran, bottom six, specifically fourth line, probably helps him face us. Nick Dowd in Washington um, is a veteran. He has another year after this at 1.3 million. He's got 13 points in 38 games, has some playoff experience. Uh, Nico Sturm out in San Jose won a cup with the Avs, good on faceoffs. He had, he only has seven points in 30 games. My problem there is he's also signed through next season for $2 million, which I, I just think is an overpay for what he brings. So there'd probably have to be some salary retained. Um, then if you aim, aim a little higher, a guy who used to be a fourth liner but has grown in Nashville's lineup since then. Colton Sissons is a player I really like. Uh, he signed for two more years after this at two point eight five, but good on playoffs, uh, good on faceoffs. Can play center or wing. He's physical, um, you know. And then th- there's there's other centers or you know forwards who are good on faceoffs, but they're they project higher in the lineup and are going to cost more. Sean Monahan in Montreal his his name has been out there for a while. Adam Enrico in Anaheim, you know, veteran play center, or wing, good on faceoffs. And Kevin Hayes, the the Dorchester boy in St. Louis, um you know, could potentially be available. So there's there's my list of of potential targets.
2: Yeah, like you said the last few probably are higher higher in the lineup than a fourth line you usually. So um
1: yeah, yeah, I think the the idea there would just be more, hey, if we just need another guy who's good on face in general and we also think we need some middle six scoring help, like there's a couple guys who, who can do both.
2: Okay.
0: All right, moving on down, we have Duncan who says that um, loves the show, wants to congratulate Bridget on the Beanpot and PWHL Opportunities and that you did Thank awesome, you. Bridget. Thank you. Uh stick taps for you there. Um he says, I'm loving the offensive showing from the Bruins since Christmas, but I'm concerned they may be peaking too soon. Obviously love the peaks, but concerned that a valley could be on the way. Um can the Bees avoid such a valley come playoff time? If not, is the roster structured well enough to handle that valley and turn it around, come playoff time if it were to happen? we'll, we'll, we'll leave it there and then, uh, answer that first part.
1: Bridget, you want to go first?
2: Um, in terms of peaking at the right time, see, here's the thing with this is that I just, like, I don't, I don't gamble. I don't, you know, I, I'm not a psychic. I don't, I can't predict the future. Otherwise I would be putting a lot more money on some of these, uh, these games and, and, you know, (laughs) I, <laughs> but I, I'm not someone who likes to try to predict the future too much. Um, and in terms of peaking at the right time, I think that they probably will go through some more adversity here in this next month. We talked about it last episode, like the schedule that's upcoming for them is not an easy February and, and, you know, March, they have to play Toronto twice and they're playing Tampa. They're, they're playing, they're playing some of the the tougher teams that, have given them trouble. Um they're they're playing Vegas, right? Come, um coming up after the break. So they they're playing good teams and there's no way they're skating through that uh I don't see them just like plowing through the schedule that they have in February. So yeah, they've had a good stretch here right before the break. I think it's good to give them confidence and you want to see them use that confidence, but also I think there's going to be a few more learning moments before the playoffs and to be Peaking in January still gives you time to like have a few more struggles before. Like we're not really talking about trouble unless we're talking about like a big dip right around March and April. Like those are the times where you don't want to be seeing that dip. Um, But there's still time for some ups and downs in the season before we're, we're hitting that kind of level of concern. I don't know if you guys agree with that.
1: Yeah. They have two games against Edmonton. Late February, early March too, and the the Oilers just simply don't lose anymore. Um, so yeah, there's, there's one more Western road trip in there. Yeah, there's there's gonna be another valley dip, skid, whatever you want to call it. Um, I don't think they're just gonna plow through the final two plus months of of the regular season, and, and that's not a bad thing. Like it's probably it's probably good for them to have an, at least another hiccup to. To have to grind through and, and overcome and pull themselves out of it at some point. Like, that's those are good things to, to go through as long as you do pull yourself out of it, right? If it if all of a sudden it lasts two, three weeks and you know you're two and 11 over your last 13, like that's not good. That there's, there's nothing good to be gained from that. But if you go, you know, one and three, one and four, and then turn it around, like that's fine. And, you know, so yeah, I, I wouldn't worry about them peaking too early to get to the heart of the question. I, I generally don't really believe in that kind of stuff. Like you, you just try to grow your game and get better throughout the season period. And what whatever peaks that leads to like, you're not going to intentionally lose because, Oh boy, we've been winning too much. Like it, you, you just could try to keep getting better.
2: Well, what about the second part? The president well, we're back to the president's trophy <laughs> curse uh being brought up. And because the Bruins are once again, well, they're tied for first in the entire league. Um, and they're first in, in the conference. So we we had this conversation last year, and I feel like I got ar- in arguments with people in the office about like how stupid the curse was, and then then of course when they don't win this, they're like, Oh, well, I told you this is a curse. Like, no, <laughs> that's another thing. I'm not a psychic and and i I don't believe in the curses either. I don't know.
0: I mean, I I think real quick, just to touch on that, that, that first part, um, the, the year the Bruins won the Stanley cup in 2011, they lost 10 of their last 18 games uh, heading into the playoffs. So like it's possible, like also like some teams, some teams also stumble into the playoffs and then get hot in, in round one and never look back. So it's more about just having the, the the maturity to just when the playoffs come around. You yes, you want your habits to be uh, strong heading into the postseason, but ultimately, once that puck drops, you gotta you gotta you gotta enforce those habits all over again anyway. So, um, yeah, it, it just I think this team does have the mental maturity and and uh, and mentality to to implement that in the playoffs. If not for just learning from last year. Um, Bridget, as far as the, the president's trophy curse, I think <laughs> I'm with Scott. I don't believe in curses, but I do think that um, it's not even so much the fact that they finished first last year and, and broke all those records. It's that the media and everybody uh, and their mother talks about, what if they choke? And it's. I think it's more the outside noise that gets into the locker room than it is actually winning the league in the, in the regular season. Um, obviously that outside noise comes because you win the league. Um, but like, I don't think it's because they were better than everybody in the regular season. I do think sometimes bad habits creep in. Um, and I don't think the Bruins are playing desperate hockey. Like some other teams were, IE Florida trying to make the playoffs last year. Um, so it's 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 a layered question. I don't think it's a black and white answer. I do think it's incumbent upon the the Bruins no matter where you finish to play desperate. Um
2: Don't yeah. you think it because this is another thing that we've brought up in the past like when you have that embarrassing first round exit the year before, I feel like that usually is enough to kind of give you a little bit of a kick like to play more desperately than last year because you now have this bitter taste in your mouth of we're supposed to have this last dance with Bergeron and Krejci and we, we failed them and we don't want to have that taste again. Like I've never been in a room full of grown men that were as like completely out of it and upset as dealing with the locker room after that game and on breakup day. Uh, And I don't think that any of them want to feel that again. So uh, maybe that sting from last season helps them a little bit in terms of blocking out the noise not just going in thinking we're the best team and we're going to, you know, cruise through anything. Uh, I think that all plays into.
1: Yeah. And if they were to win the president's trophy this season, I don't think it, it's not going to be as decisively as last year, unless they go on like an incredible two month heater here. But I think like if they win it by a point or two, there's just far less pressure and far less talk about it than running away like they did last year, which, you know, I, I don't believe in, in curses, but I do think pressure can get to guys. And I think if you're going in feeling like, Hey, like we, we better win it. You know, this this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Like we better not screw this up. That can, some guys can use that the right way. Other guys, it eats at you the wrong way. And like, you know, I think back to the, the, Patriots in 2007, being 18 and 0 and losing in the Super Bowl, and you've heard from players on that team who have said things along the lines of like, "might have been better if we had lost at some point before than and not had that extra pressure to complete, you know, a perfect season." And the the Bruins last year, like that regular season was about as close to perfect as you can get in the NHL, and it's it's that similar kind of pressure of like, you you look like an all time team better not screwed up in the playoffs now. Um, I, I do think like that can kind of get to some guys and, and you're just not going to feel that this year. Like they're, they're not going to be that kind of team, even yeah. if they, even if they are the president's trophy winners.
0: And, and last year, like the NHL is such a difficult league to, to win the, the Stanley cup. And it's the toughest trophy to win because of the, I believe the demands of the sport and four, seven game series, potentially, um, you know, Yes, everybody would have been disappointed that the Bruins not won the Stanley Cup last year, but <laughs> what they couldn't do was lose in the first round. Like you go to the conference finals, you lose to, you know, whomever, um, Tampa, you know, like I don't know. Name name a team. Like that's one thing. Um, but or or go to the finals and lose to Colorado. That's like no, it is what it is, but to have lost the way they did was unacceptable. And I think that was like had the Bruins just held on to that lead in any of those closeout games and surpassed the first round, I think a lot a, a huge weight would have been lifted off their shoulders because I think they felt that same pressure. Like I think they felt, get us to the first round and, and we'll be off and running, and they just they just couldn't. Um, going forward into this year, yeah. Brian, you muted yourself. Oh, bad take. Um, <laughs> I do, I do think if they go into the um, the postseason as a as a top seed again you're gonna you're gonna hear the narrative out there of are they gonna do it two years in a row and they're gonna have to sit there and and, and battle through that and and
2: i wonder who you'll hear that from i wonder who is gonna
0: be a lot of people honestly obviously I, I know you're referring to a couple of local um, yeah. radio hosts but i i think it's going to be a uh, you know uh, all the hockey ch- talks in canada um and any hockey market in the u.s will be talking about it I think, because a lot of people don't like Boston uh, sports there of the, because of the success, it's fun to see um, some of these teams flounder and, 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 and fail. And it is, it is a storyline, right? Like can they redeem themselves? Um, they're going to have to, they're going to have to you know, do that. I think. Um, all right. Bridget, do you have the next question in front of you?
2: I have it up. Yeah. Um, well, I don't, do. We want to go to the next one. I can read it, but I feel like we kind of already got to it. Um. uh This is from Chip, who uh, is a Detroit Lions fan. So we're sorry.
0: Sorry, Chip. Um.
2: <laughs> uh So his Bruins question uh, says, uh, "I'm very concerned with the Faceoff.com playoffs, especially during shorthanded or power play situation. The eye test tells me the str." They struggle with this. Scott, please stat me up if wrong. Um, And these face-offs are often the difference between winning and losing a game in a series. Overtime games come to mind. um, And I feel this group will be in a few of overtime games in the playoffs. So um, I don't know, Scott, did you have the the face-off stats? Like where the Bruins stand in the league in terms of like win percentage?
1: Yeah. And I will say not as bad as you would think Uh, on the power play Bruins are 58.8%, which is seventh best in the NHL and shorthanded. They're 45.6%, which is 11th best in the NHL. Um, If you're wondering how 45.6 is 11th best, it's because pretty much every team loses more than they win shorthanded because you just don't, not only are you outmanned, you know, five on four in general, but you're outmanned on faceoffs. The team on the power play can have an extra guy diving in to try to win it back, whereas the shorthanded team can't overcommit an extra body like that because then if you if you lose, you immediately have a two on one somewhere, and and that's not good. So, um, yeah, they they've actually been at least fine, better than fine in terms of special teams faceoffs. I also looked up. Defensive zone faceoffs, because that's obviously important late in games too. Fifty-one point seven percent, which is tenth best. So, yeah, you're not in, you're not as good in any of those areas as you were when you had Patrice Bergeron, who of course was the best faceoff guy in the league. But they're they're keeping their head above water, and that's because you know a lot of those big draws are getting taken by Charlie Coyle or Pavel Zaka. Um, and those guys are both over 50%. They've you know, they're not one of, among the best in the league, but they've been good on faceoffs for the most part. Hmm.
0: So, right. there's
2: those there's your stats, Chip. Um, and, Scott, and, and, yeah.
0: But also but to Chip's point, um yeah, like there's no doubt about it. Uh there's definitely a direct correlation to to having a high faceoff percentage um and teams being successful. Uh, yes, a lot of you can, could, could, You can could think of a lot of, um, you know, playoff overtime games where it's it's a marathon game and it's a it, it's a it's a one face off and a, and a and a shot through traffic that just bounces in. I mean, you know, the the Sean Corrali goal against the Senators in Game Five or Game Four back in two thousand seventeen, kind of you know s- s- plays like that. You win a face off, you get it to the net, goes off of skating in, um, and then obviously you know. You want to face off and you're you're, you're controlling where the play goes. and um, it's, it's very important.
2: Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss
0: a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. okay so Don Zweeney this is a this is a uh, an interesting one I don't know well I'll, well it will answer it over the last 15 years 10 cup winners have had a first overall pick four have had a second overall pick the only team to win a cup without a first or second overall pick was St. Louis in 2019 uh, with a fourth overall pick do so the Bruins need more high picks to win a cup? Or is JVR their loophole? I'll add one more, uh, and this is probably included in the 15-year sample size. Obviously, the Bruins had Tyler Sagan in 2011, second overall pick. Um, Bridget Scott, do the Bruins need more high draft picks if they want to win a cup, or is JVR the exception in the loophole?
1: But,
2: well, technically, and- he is a, a second overall pick, so he does count if you know towards your stat if if the Bruins go on to win. But he's not your loophole because he's – well past, uh, the age where, you know, you, like you his, pri- his prime, I'm sorry, but, um, you know, if you had him when he was 22, I would say yes. Um, but at the same time, like, I really don't believe in, in this. You have to have a, a first or a second overall pick in order to win a Stanley cup. I think what JVR brings that helps the team is his experience. And, um, his mentality—it—it it doesn't really have much to do with like him being able to overwhelm teams with like a skill set that's, um, like a Connor McDavid or Connor Bedard type of skill set. And also, if you recall, Tyler Sagan wasn't a huge contributor to that Bruins playoff when obviously he was fresh to the team at that point, but um, still kind of well, in and out of the lineup. He wasn't in every game of that playoff. No.
0: Run. No, but, no one, but one could say the Tampa series, he shifted, you know?
1: Yeah. yeah. You could definitely argue they don't win that series without him. Um, I think, by the way, at Duns, we need, missed one on St. Louis, not a top two pick, but uh, Petrangelo was the fourth overall pick on that team. Jay Boehmister was the third overall pick, so uh, they also had him. Yeah, um, exactly. I, I think I, I don't particularly care about the numbers of like where guys were drafted. But I think what this does illustrate is that you tend to need superstars to win a Stanley cup. Like St. Louis also might be the lone exception of like not having a true superstar on their roster, depending on what you think of Petrangelo or Ryan O'Reilly. I think those are, those are really good all-star caliber players, but not superstars. Um, So the point of you tend to find superstars high in the draft is accurate like if you go through these rosters vegas trades for jack eichel who's second overall pick the avs roster nathan mckinnon first overall gabe Landeskog second overall kale mccarr fourth even like miko ranton in 10th overall lightning steven stamkos first overall victor hedman second overall capitals alex ovechkin first overall nicholas backstrom fourth overall the penguins dynasty Crosby first overall, Malkin second overall, Marc-Andre Fleury was first overall, Blackhawks, Patrick Kane first overall, Jonathan Taves second overall, Kings. Drew Doughty second overall, like even Andre Kopitar 11th. So you need stars is the the bigger takeaway here. And it's easiest to find stars at the very top of the draft. The Bruins have found them elsewhere. Yeah. To their credit. David Pastrnak I mean, was Bertrand, 25th yeah. overall. Vic, um charlie mcavoy 14th overall brad marshall was a third round pick like those those are all stars and so Chris
2: bergeron not a first yeah round well pick. yeah
1: like, i was sticking to this year's roster but yes um, well i'm
2: seeing in in we're talking about like when they won the cup like and and also just like who have their best players been over the past 10 years um are guys that probably should have been first round picks or should have been higher picks like David Posternock should have been a lot higher than that. Um, so the Bruins really got lucky um, if, if you look at it, you know, from from now, like in hindsight. But yeah, they they got their players further down. And it's because they didn't have a lot of high draft picks because they were, you know, for certain years, they were too good to have a high round draft pick. Um, we talked about how they really haven't been in a rebuild in a long time. And that's where you're seeing like, Colorado ended up with all of those really high draft picks because they were bad. <laughs> um, and all those so,
0: teams, all, yeah, those, all teams. those teams
2: were really, really I mean, bad. So yeah.
0: Col- Colorado had one of the worst seasons of all time. Um, and you know, if, if, if look in the Blackhawks before you hit before to you guys's point, like the same thing, all these teams have in common is that they all bottomed out prior to getting these players. Like, you know, the, the black, the, the penguins, the, the Blackhawks,
1: out. the Blackhawks had home games getting blacked out on TV. Yeah, the Penguins almost moved for, out of Pittsburgh. Like, right, and, and they and, were and, truly
0: rock bottom. And nope, and, and I'm sure you could find a few. If you ask Bruins fans, okay, like next year, would you mind coming in dead last if you know you're going to get the first overall pick, um, the following year? Like, I'm sure many Bruins fans could be like maybe i'll think about it maybe yeah but if you would to tell them you know to you i want you guys to bottom up for the next two or three four years to like no fucking way and that's what these teams had to do also, the blackhawks the penguins uh the avalanche so it's yeah.
2: not a reverse order draft it's a lottery
0: right it's exactly not like you're
2: getting connor bedard like connor bedard shouldn't have even gone to chicago like if you look at the way that things bounced, like they were not the the last place team, wasn't it? Anaheim or I mean it was it wasn't Chicago. They were bad, but they weren't last, you know? So right. you're not yeah, guaranteeing. I think, yourself... I think
0: they were
1: third. A- Anaheim and yeah. Columbus both had better odds.
0: But...
2: Exactly. You're not guaranteeing yourself Connor Bedard by tanking. To
0: to Don's point though, um so I think the answer. Antith- The answer is kind of somewhere in the middle. Like, you don't need – Scott said it best. You don't need necessarily a first or second overall pick. What you do need is a superstar, wherever that superstar comes from. Um, David Pasternak, we just mentioned, he is – you know, he and Leon Dreisaitl are the class of that 2014 draft, and he's one of the best goal scorers, if not the best goal scorer in the world. You found him at the end of the first round. Uh, Nikita Kucherov is on another planet, um, neck and neck with Nathan McKinnon. One was first overall, one was like a second second rounder. So now I know the Lightning do have uh, Hedman and Stamkos, but it just so happens that most superstars are drafted high. But you just need a superstar wherever that wherever you can find them. And and the Bruins have that player in David Pashnak. I mean, you could tell me right now David Pashnak was the first overall pick in 2014. You can fool me. So it's about having at least a superstar. And I think for the blues, Vladimir Tarasenko was close enough to that for that team at that time in the league. He was closer to a superstar back then. Um, and Petrangelo is a, you know, he's a all world defenseman. So need a superstar, not necessarily a first overall pick or a second overall pick. It just so happens the teams he rattled off in the last 15 years had them and they were drafted there. Cause you know, obviously that's how it works, but. Just need a superstar, and the Bruins have one. All right. Uh, I don't have the next question up in front of me. Um,
2: um, there are two more that I see here from YouTube. And so one is trade-related, and one is about um, what's going to happen with Matt Patra. So I'll, I'll do the Patra one first. Uh, Sharon said, what do you think the Bruins will do with Matt Patra after the break? Curious because of the very diminished playing time and fourth-line role and better play by Geeky and Boquist, do you think they end up sending him back to Guelph and then when their season ends, having him come back as a black ace?
1: Uh, Sorry, my, mine just froze, but I'm, I'm happy to answer that.
2: Okay, go ahead, Scott. I don't know if he froze again.
1: Hopefully everyone can hear me. Um, <laughs> Sharon is probably also a list. i I see people laughing
0: so i'm assuming no one can hear me right now no no we can we can we can hear you you're you're just you're just frozen as a popsicle is all um but we can hear you if you want to give it another shot i
2: think maybe maybe one of us should answer first
0: okay um so i think i think uh, patra i i think you got to keep him around um I think I think depth is is very important. You're always an injury away um, of needing like what what Matt Patra does bring you that Johnny Beecher doesn't bring you um, or somebody like that is. Uh, I, I do think Patra has has the skill set to fit into a top six role, um, even if it's premature, and even if there's struggles uh, in the two hundred foot aspect of it. But like say Charlie Coyle or or Pavel Zaka went down. Um, and, and the Bruins found out that they were out for a significant amount of time um, and say it's after the trade deadline, right? Like you're going to want an internal option at, in a centerized position that ha- kind of has that natural high end ability, even though it's still a working, working prog- uh, project. Um, I think for that reason alone, I, I think Patra shouldn't go back to Guelph and there's other benefits to keeping him around as well, but simply a- a- as an insurance Safety blanket. Um, I I would keep him.
1: Okay, I think I'm good now. So let's let's see if I can get through this. Um, first off, I I can tell that Sharon is a uh, probably also a listener of the Morning Brew with with Jaffe and Razor because I heard them talking about this on their most recent episode, and it is an interesting topic. Um, I'm with Brian though. I'm not sending Patra back, and mainly because I, I still think he can be the player we saw early on this season. There's no question that like the entire middle of his season has kind of gone sideways between world juniors and that not going the way you would have wanted injuries since coming back. Um, You know, he only, he only has one goal since November 5th. He's played 22 games since then. He's been under nine minutes of ice time in three of his last four. So I I understand like everyone kind of being a little down on him now and wondering where exactly he fits. Here's my counter. He is still fifth on the Bruins in five on five points per 60 minutes this season. He's behind only Charlie Coyle, David Passenach, Trent Frederick, and James Van Riemsdyk. He is ahead of names like Pavel Zaka, Brad Marchand, Morgan Kiki, Jake DeBrus. So if you're sending him back, To me, that's got to be because you think he's hit some sort of wall that is going to prevent him from getting back to that player the rest of the season. And I'm not there yet. Like, I'm not convinced that he's hit that wall and there's no way around it. I think he's hit a wall and I want to see if he can get over it and get back to being that player. He's had some time off here that, like, that might, you know, depending on if there's a new injury or something that that might actually prove beneficial for him to have a little bit of a mid-season reset. Um, But I feel like that player who was producing pretty well at five on five is still there. And I'm not sending it back to Guelph uh, just yet.
2: No, I think we need to send him to Turks and Caicos. Like Scott said, you two can go together Um, and just reset, reset with the break get some sun. You know, now now I'm making myself want to go there. Um but no, I don't think that that player is gone. I think he's had such a disjointed middle part of the season and like mixed messages I don't think have helped him where it's like no, we want you here, but we also are going to send you to play for Canada and like I think they need to get their messaging straight. I think they need to make him feel more comfortable because nobody plays their best when they're when they're always questioning in the back of their mind like am I going to keep losing playing time? Am I going to am I going to get sent back down to Guelph? Like I want to be part of this team. They're giving me like some messages that maybe they don't want me to be here. I just wish that things would be more consistent for him. And obviously an injury, if if he's dealing with something right now is going to push that back even more, but he needs some consistency. He's young. Uh he hasn't been playing in the same role the whole season. Like if they decide to put him on the wing, like that's going to mix it up even more. I just wish he had like a stretch of time where he could, he could really be allowed to get to have some chemistry and, and get to uh, feel more comfortable being, being up and and with his standing. So uh, I don't think he's like by any means bad enough to not be on this NHL roster. Um, so that's why I say, don't, you don't send him back to Guelph because he brings something that you need. And like Scott said, five on five, he's been good and he has these moments and you just want to see him have more of an opportunity to work through and, and try to get back to that.
0: I, I, I agree. And I still, I still just like looking back and, you know, hand to the sky. I still don't think this is that big of a deal. Um, but I, I still just, I, I just still, I didn't, I, I don't like that they sent him to to, to to world juniors because so much of what he has to learn this year is off the ice too. It's like learning, like learning the life of a professional athlete and, you know uh, you know, little things like getting into a routine, like, you know, he's been uprooted. He was living in a hotel for the first month and a half of the season. Then he moves in with beach or somewhere. It's like, Getting acclimated to driving. And now to
2: Beecher's war- not even there.
0: Ah, oh, poor Maddie. But like, get, get get Getting used to like driving to Warrior every day for practice. Getting used to driving a Hanscom um, for 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 uh, to to catch your flight for road trips. Um, learning how to be a professional on the road. Learning how to be a professional at home. And then they just, you know, he's in the middle of doing all that, all the off ice stuff. He's still trying to learn trying too. Trying to learn how to cook. Learn how to cook. And 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 the Bruins thought it was a great idea to 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 not only send him to World Juniors but to send them uh, seven hours ahead, mess with his sleeping schedule, all for a World Juniors tournament with new teammates and no chemistry, and and then he has to come back jet lagged. It just made no sense to me, honestly. I just didn't think the positives mm-hmm. outweighed the potential negatives. Um, but it, I, you know, yeah, it's not I, a huge I, deal.
1: I, I still have absolutely no problem with it because I I think.
2: Well, we already went over this, Scott. It's 2v1, yeah, yeah. and you lose this time.
0: Okay? Right.
1: I, I think I think learning learning to be a leader on a team, playing in high-pressure situations on a huge international stage...
0: Uh, okay. it's not, it's not,
1: it's I not think that, it's important.
0: It's not well, that huge. We almost
2: made it to the end of the episode without arguing with each not other. That,
0: <laughs> not, um, that, not that big of a deal.
1: One, my one last note on Padra, one thing he does have to do, shoot more. Uh, his last eleven games, he has five total shots on goal. He's had zero in four of his last six. Um, so that that has to change, and that's that's one thing that you know has been a concern with him, right? Is sometimes he doesn't shoot enough. So he's in he's in one of those stretches right now.
0: Yeah, right. no, definitely. We got one, one final last... question. You wanna you wanna do the honors, Bridget?
2: Sure. Uh, we did kind of touch on this a little bit earlier because it, it more goes back to like the trading um, for. A defenseman um so this is from trent he left this comment on our youtube he said i know number 48 uh macros like is a boston boy but i would say at the deadline i would package him with someone like lifestyle and get a top six forward or even bring in a top four puck moving defenseman playoffs is a playoffs are a whole new animal uh as we know and to add a nice goal scorer uh to put with I'm guessing this is supposed to say pasta <laughs> or, or a uh, a top four D would be big. I think yeah. we, we answered the Grizzly thing earlier, just that he's got no term left. So that makes him hard to trade.
0: I mean this. Y- yeah. And, and again, this question is, it's a little bit easier to answer if there's names attached, right? Like you're giving me tangible names for the Bruins, right? Um, Grizzly and Lysel. And then, but, to offer you know a top six forward or a top four demon um the hypothetical is tough if i don't know the name attached um i would be open to it if it's if the name is big enough right or, or impactful enough it just so maybe we can think of a couple of names off the top of our heads oh here, wait a but... minute
2: wait a minute wait a minute we didn't even get to the one that i was pissed about that i said in the beginning the the stupid tie it in Trade proposal. All right. So Elias Lindholm is a top six forward that we had talked about in the past. If maybe this makes a difference in, in, you know, this, this part of the conversation, but if no one has seen this on Twitter, should we like retweet it on the skate pod? Because I saw this yesterday and I sent it to the guys because I was like, this is, this is so dumb. Like why is this even on my screen right now as an option? So Bruins for, for, one reason or another have been kind of attached to the Elias Lindholm trade rumors and the athletics suggested that Bruins received just Elias Lindholm and Calgary gets the Bruins 2025 first round pick Matt Potra and Trent Frederick. And I have an issue with like this entire thing. Um, like yeah. the fact that you even tacked Trent Frederick onto the end of this just makes me laugh. Like what? No, no. I mean l- Frederick l- is playing like a fucking top six forward right now. What the hell would be the – that would be such a steal. Like, that would be – like, Don Sui is not that stupid.
0: L- literally, like, Lindholm himself this year is not worth uh, a first-round draft pick going the other way. I mean, based off his performance so far this year, he's not worth a first-round draft pick. Because And that's now pr- prior to this year maybe, but not right now.
2: Plus a uh, potential future – uh, top center in the league in Matt Patra, and Trent Frederick, who's having his best yeah. year and trending in the right direction and still young and, and like in his prime. Like, what are we talking about?
0: Almost yeah. the same points Trent- as Lindholm,
1: right? I was just gonna say, that Trent Frederick this season has five more goals than Elias Lindholm and three fewer points.
0: Like, no power play time, <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. You know, like like Frederick, um, Frederick's doing that with le- with less playing time.
1: I, I don't
2: even his, like that one for one. Like I don't even like a one for one. Frederick. I was gonna Lindholm.
0: say
1: I I wouldn't make this trade with any two of these pieces. Like even if you right. take any one of these out, I'm still not doing it. And this. So I actually have like. So this was a thing the Athletic did on like different packages teams could put together for a Lindholm home, and it was. Uh, Corey Prondman, who's like one of their expert prospect analysts. So I think that was more his role and Julian McKenzie, who covers the Calgary flames for the athletic, um, both, both very good writers that I respect a lot, but clearly they just think way more highly of Elias Lindholm than I do. And I'm sure the flames would love to ask for this kind of return from teams but even going through, like, other teams' packages that they put together, they're all too much. And I think that's just – that's having two people who just value Lindholm more than I think a lot of people are going to, um, especially because he is having a little bit of a down year. So, um, in, in the past, when the Athletic has done things like this, what they've done is they've had, like, the beat writer for one team make a proposal to proposal to the beat writer of another team. So it would have been, like, Pluto putting this package together from the bruins perspective and then julian mckenzie would respond from the flames perspective and i I like that setup better because it gets more opinions involved like this to me this whole article starts from a, a premise of like i said like two people who just think way more highly of lindholm than i think a lot of people are going to certainly than i do
2: yeah i think fluto would have would have been like uh no we gotta go back to the drawing board on this trade proposal because this is not this isn't going to be well received um it's not going to be you know yeah a lot of times these things are just to, to kind of spark conversation and the conversation usually is like a back and forth like you and i like we've we've had these on here before where we disagreed like one of us thought it was a good idea one of us when it's when it's universally like no this is a bad idea like you you gotta do a little bit better it should be something we could debate rather than just sit here and be like this is just not even close to something that would ever happen
0: i mean and you know look for argument's sake in theory it's not it's not a terrible like it's not a terrible piece of rhetoric right like you put it out there bruins fans watching frederick watching him get better and better every game um are like why would we do that they're they're pretty much tied in points one for one and you, you want us to add but well, it, it, it's 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 the classic like you have a rising player i don't know if you can see a rising player and then a player that's kind of like on the on the descend, and it's like okay do you hit your wagon do, do you put all your chips in trent frederick camp of like no i i think he's gonna get better and better or like maybe this is his plateau or do you put your chips in like the lindholm would would go back to where he should be in a better situation. It's kind of a gamble, right? Um, if it was one for one, it'd be more of like a enticing, like, okay, do you bet on the player who's rising or, you know what I mean? That's more interesting. But to add in these other pieces too, it's like, no, no, no.
2: Yeah. Well, to, to tie this into the question from Trent, would you trade someone like Fabius Fabian Lysel with a D prospect or like a draft pick or something for Elias Lindholm is like, is he in, is that more of like what you're comfortable with trading for? Like what would be the, the comfortable place for the Bruins to be on a trade like that?
1: That's, that's probably, you know, closer to reality, but the problem and one that that's highlighted by like Frederick getting included here is unless, you know, I mentioned the scenario with Forber potentially ending up on LTIR again, but like, unless that happens, the Bruins do have to move out money in order to bring anyone in. They, they have $800,000 in cap space right now. So you can't trade for Elias Lindholm for just a prospect and a pick. Salary has to move somewhere. And I know every Bruins fan is like, oh, well, just get rid of Grizzly or Forbert. And it's like, okay, but someone has to want those guys. And they're on expiring contracts. So again, like why would a team that's turning the page to next year, like the Calgary Flames, want either one of them? Um, unless they, they are planning to re-sign them. So that's where someone like Frederick with term comes in, and that's where this all really gets uncomfortable because it's like, what salary other the are moving out that actually has value to another team? Um, or, you know, the second option is is you execute a salary dump somewhere, and we know what those look like, as we saw with Taylor Hall. It means you don't get equal value for the players. So. Um, it's it, it's gonna be a challenge for Don Sweeney to make trades before the March 9th deadline
0: and and Trent Frederick isn't just a homegrown Bruins' prospect who's now starting to like realize their offensive capabilities. He's <laughs> he's a power forward that is the type of player that you would want in April and beyond as he gets older. Like that's the exact type of player you want in a playoff series. So it's 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 to me, I, you know, it's it's interesting because you, you, you rewind the clocks a couple of years and Trent Frederick's value was, was pretty low. And right now it's Didn't like, they
2: scratch him last playoffs one day? They,
0: briefly they did, yeah. But yeah. right, but right <laughs> now he's, he's just where he is and where it appears he's going. um You know, he's a player that you want to see in a Bruins jersey for a, a long, a long time to come. And it's getting like, if you if you were to part with him, it's like, okay, it better be something really worthwhile. Um, cause he cause it's again, it's not where he is right now, it's where he is. It's where I think we all see him going potentially as like a true power forward that can score 30 goals in this league. So um, all right. I think that probably wraps up uh the mailbag. I did have a quick um you know, bridge the fashion segment if you want to get the banner going. But
2: oh okay. I was
0: in a uh, I was in I was in a uh Dick's sporting goods recently. And I came across a, a 90, it was a, it was a 1990 Stanley cup finals, um, Bruins Jersey, Ray Bork Jersey, a white Jersey with the 1990 Stanley cup patch. Oh my goodness. To see that, to see that in person, I was like, holy smokes, that, that I want to take you to prom. <laughs> um, and, and right, and, and right next to it, right next to it was one of the, um, like the 20, the, the centennial jerseys. Um, And I was like, oh my God, these, like these Bruins jerseys are so, these 19, these old school Bruins jerseys are so much, so much better. It's not even funny. And what's, what's, what's crazy is that that night, <laughs> I'm, I'm honestly embarrassed to admit this. One of my dreams last night was uh that the Bruins won the Stanley cup and they won the Stanley cup in their black centennial jerseys that they're wearing this year. And I shit you not in my dream. I was like, of course, they won the cup this year. Like, they're gonna, they're gonna, they, they, with these jerseys, they won the cup. Like, this is you only won the cup, <laughs> they won the cup six times in their entire franchise, and now they won it finally again. And they're wearing these shitty jerseys. <laughs> <They> <laughs> that's won, really, wearing,
2: oh, god, does that make
0: me a bad Bruins fan? Like, that's like the I, one. I they, think it
2: just means your priorities are, are a little bit different than most other people's.
0: <laughs> yeah, if I, could, if I, I think it means you, I
1: I just think the fact that you're dreaming/slash having nightmares about this in the first place.
2: Uh, like the ruins like, on the Stanley Cup just and it that was you a total have, nightmare.
1: Yeah, I think you j- you just have bigger issues than we're going to be able to work through in uh the last 5 minutes of this
0: podcast. Wait,
2: can I say something funny because that exact same jersey <laughs> oh that God. Brian is the exact same white Ray Bork jersey that you are describing? Yeah. Thursday Thursday night I saw someone wearing it and a mullet wig from the <sighs> from the 90s or whatever singing karaoke at the restaurant i was at so this guy's just dressed like old school ray bork with like the literally like the old school like perm mullet and yeah. singing. and i it, i was like wow ray borks here this is <laughs> i mean
0: I'll, l- listen listen i i don't i don't deny i have issues guys okay and 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 we could go a couple hours on those but um i think i don't if the boston bruins want to stand a Santa cup this year it would be it would be absolutely incredible. I don't think I'd be alone. I th- I feel like Bruins fans deep down, deep, deep down, you might be like, I wish they didn't have these jerseys winning the cup. I've, I don't think I'm alone because it's a color gold that they have not worn in their entire hundred years until this year. And there's still a part of me that feels like I'm watching a club hockey team, not the Bruins. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm crazy. But I think if all of you took some truth Sam. deep, deep down, I think you'd all be saying, I kind of I'm kind of with them on this one.
1: Uh, yeah. You're not wrong, but for people watching on YouTube, Bridget's showing us the the video of uh Roy okay.
0: singing. But to be fair, that's not even that, that's that's the uh that's not the same jersey I was yeah. talking about, but Yeah. right. But I'm a you know, I'm I'm a kooky <laughs> Anyway,
2: uh, it reminded me of this yes, wonderful yes. rendition of I don't even remember what he was singing and I'm not going to turn the volume on. Um <laughs>
1: I mean, I, yeah. I, I think that's that's an issue that fans will complain about two years down the road. Though I think uh, yes. I think they'll forget about it during during the parade oh, and, and absolutely. absolutely. uh shenanigans as the cup makes its way around, and we all get to track every party that the Bruins are at and all that
0: stuff. And getting
2: totally getting invited, Scott. So
0: absolutely, I don't disagree. Okay, um, that was all I wanted to say. I actually jumped about how much I wish they weren't wearing that gold. Um, it's, it's, it's creeping into my, 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 uh, unconscious now. It's not good. It's not good. (laughs) Anyway, um, that probably wraps up for me. You guys good?
1: Yes. Yeah, I'm good.
0: (laughs) So are we gonna, are we gonna record, uh, for all-star weekend or kind of punt until next week, do you think?
1: I think, uh, yeah, I think we probably regroup after the all-star game. Something early next week.
0: All right. That works for me. Thank you all for sending in uh, your questions. Um, Enjoy the all-star festivities and we will talk to you next week.